You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. We are back from a little holiday break, and we are now recording in 2017. Chuck, how was your? Uh, how were your holidays? Happy New Year! Fantastic. Um, you know, I, I at the end of the year, I do this like wind down, and and really, I think it's helpful for me to just unplug. And so for the last week, I haven't touched my computer. And the week before that, I probably was on maybe a total of like five hours. Um, yeah. I revert back to like pencil and paper. And so I have, a, I have like tons of notes. I mean, I've got like all kinds of ideas and things I wrote down. But I don't do it on a computer. I just do it manually. And, and it's my way to kind of refocus and recenter. And it was great. We had, you know, a house full of family and fun and joy and lots of uh, trips to the ice skating rink that's a block and a half from my house now and yeah and we've got fresh coat of snow so everything's everything's beautiful here this is a just perfect time of year how about you yeah I also took kind of a well I, I wouldn't say I took a computer break but I took a social media break for the last several weeks and that was really good Thinking I might just like keep going with that, <laughs> except for <laughs> you have to do for strong towns. So that was, uh, yeah, that was helpful. And I also saw a ton of family around a couple of different places in the Midwest. We hosted a bunch of people over here. So uh, the cleanup afterwards was not fun, but the uh, having everyone over and cooking a big meal that was really nice. So we do not have a lot of snow here. It all melted and became brown and gross, but Ugh. nice for a while. I'm sure we'll get more. Well. I- when we moved to the the new house last summer, I I just I've had this dream in my mind, like a picture of what things would be like, and and one of them was being able to go over to the ice skating rink and just skate whenever we want. And we, you know, we always used to drive into town to go to this skating rink that was at the park, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, there's a. They opened the warming house. They opened it. Um, I want to say on the 26th, and you know, it's someone's there all the time, and it's it's you can go over and sit down. And but even before that, um, you know, we would just go over and sit on the ice and change into our skates. And my yeah. my my girls just love it. And my oldest, as well as my wife, both got new figure skates for Christmas, and nice. we were over there every day. And Wow, it was fun. It just, you know, it's such a great time to be able to to walk that little distance, uh, be able to skate for an hour, go home, have some hot chocolate. We just, we, we had a delightful, delightful time. And, and I have to say that, oh, I was I was thinking this morning too, I, I, I stopped and filled my car up with gas on the way into the office today. I dropped off, Stella's back to school, so I had to drop her off and then head over here. And I, that's the, basically I think I filled my car with gas once in December Mm. and that is going from like twice a week, um, before we moved. Wow. That's Uh, fantastic. Yeah. It's just crazy. So not much driving, but a lot of, a lot of fun time, uh, last month. 
Did you get any reading done or podcast listening? Yeah, I I got I got a ton done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I favorite favorite books. Um, you know, I'm 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 reading the a book called The Road to Ruin, which sounds like really apocalyptic. It's it it maybe is a little bit. It's a Jim Rickards wrote a book called Currency Wars, and mm-hmm. he also wrote The End of Money. And this is kind of like the third book in this kind of trilogy of, I mean, it's nonfiction, uh, this trilogy of like explaining changes in our financial system and is very alarmist, is very alarming, but I, I have not been able to put that book down. I also uh, finished The the Content Trap, which is a book that I think you maybe were going to dig into, but was recommended by uh, one of our um, board of directors, uh, John Reuter. And then I also got through, there's a book called The Road Taken, which is like a history of American infrastructure. As I was kind of thinking about what I'm going to write this week and and some of the stuff we're going to talk about actually this month at Strong Towns, I wanted to, I I, I wanted to listen to that book while I was baking as a way Mm -hmm. to kind of stimulate some thoughts. And I did, I thought it was a, I did not think it was a very good book. I thought it was kind of boring from actually, because it. I don't, I'm not saying I know everything, but there was not a lot of, a lot of new stuff there for me. But it, it, just listening to it did kind of stimulate some thoughts in my brain. And so, yeah, I, I actually listened to uh, – I, 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 I worked in this room in my basement of the new house. The basement in the new house is – you know, it's a, over 100 years old. It's unfinished. It's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of tackling projects down there. And one of them was to take this room that's kind of like a utility room and f- fix it up. And so I was doing a lot of painting and I listened to a number of these like really long Malcolm Cladwell speeches. Hmm. And the one in particular was just fantastic, just really excellent. And um, yeah, so I, I've spent hours doing that and uh, I'm probably going to share that one on the on the site here in the coming weeks, because it was it was really worthy of a uh, of, of, of deeper examination. Sounds good. Yeah. I mostly did fiction reading, but one that I just started a couple of days ago um, is a book called "When Breath Becomes Air." It came out about a year ago, and it's um, by Paul Kalanithi, and he's um, a neurosurgeon who got lung cancer and, and passed away um, just like right before the book was published. So pretty sad book. He's only like in his thirties, but he talks a lot about the patient doctor relationship and then kind of reflects on that as, you know, he suddenly took the role of being a patient. Um, it's really fascinating. So, and it's a really a pretty quick read. It's just kind of a memoir about being a doctor. So wow, that has been a really fascinating book. My, like catching up on that was like talked about a ton about a year ago. So I'm like catching up on stuff. Yeah. But. That one looks rough. I don't know as I could read that. Well, it's it's a brilliant. It's kind of a hopeful book. So my Tell wife, a, my wife oh, actually uh, recommended this book called "Thank You for Your Service," hmm. which is uh, a, about uh, the Iraq War vets and Afghanistan War vets, and kind of how they've adapted or not adapted, or you know had difficulty coming back from the war. 
Yeah. And this is something she's as a reporter has written on a number of times and then, and then came across this book and she said it was fantastic. So that's actually at the top of my list. That's the next one I'm going to do. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do when breath becomes air. Although I'm, I may just be too depressed after the, the other one to, to do that. So tell me about the article that you wrote this morning. We're kicking off the new year, uh, in, in full swing with your article, Five Ways Federal Infrastructure Spending Makes Cities Poorer. I, I think that th- this week I've got a series of these I'm going to do. And it, mm-hmm. it, I, I, I kind of uh, like negotiated with myself over the break, like how to do this. And I, I, I want the message to reach as many people as I can. And I, I, I kind of went back and forth like I don't want to be like BuzzFeedy, you know, Five yeah. things your high school girlfriend didn't, you know, whatever. Um, like, I didn't want to go that route. But yet, on the other hand, I thought, okay, I, I, I do want to make this accessible to a lot of people because over the course of the really the, the last four months of the year, we delved into this infrastructure thing in, in deep, you know, great detail. Mm-hmm. And I think did some amazing work on it. I mean, you, your stuff, uh, you know, the stuff that we, that I wrote the, um, the podcast interviews we did uh, really got deep into something in a way that I, I don't see in any other place. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do this week is kind of summarize those things in a way that is really accessible to people. So today was, yeah, I, it starts with this insight that, you know, our infrastructure investments, a lot of people think, you know, you do this to grow the economy. You do this so that we're become a wealthier country. Oh no, surprise it actually makes your city poorer and you know, it's, it, it makes you worse off, not better off. And I wanted to be able to make that point like succinctly and kind of turn that notion on its head. One of those Malcolm Gladwell videos I watched, he was interviewing uh, an economist, a guy who wrote the book misbehaving, which is a book I really liked Mm-hmm. This is about behavioral economics and the influences that that is having on the profession. And this guy, at, towards the end of the interview, Malcolm Gladwell asked him, like, if you could be the czar and, uh, you know, the economic czar in this country and just do things for a period of time, what, what's like the top things you would do? And he struggled to come up with any. But the only one that he really forcefully said is, I would spend a ton of money on infrastructure. <laughs> Yeah. And I thought, oh, no, no, you're joking me. So I, I really want to, um, you know, be able to penetrate the consciousness of people who are, are, are hear this argument continuously about how we need to spend more on infrastructure and help them to kind of grasp the nuance of how, you know, with our current approach, the way we go about things now, spending an additional trillion dollars on infrastructure will create economic growth. There's no doubt about it, uh, but it's going to make you poorer in the end. I was thinking about the New York Times piece that you sent me a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was this like opinion um, kind of invitation for five different people to respond to the question, can Trump's infrastructure plan work? And um, just the like tiny summary of this opinion um, segment says, well, few question the need for such investment. Many have questioned how we would finance it and what it would fund. Well, Strong Towns is one of those people who is questioning the need for such investment and the, the decisions about where we're going to invest that money. It's really interesting because 
I think if you step back and say, you know, do we need to spend a lot more on infrastructure? Yes. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, our infrastructure is falling apart. We have more uh, pipes and roads and sidewalks and curbs and bridges than we will ever have the, the money to maintain. I, I, I think the, the, where we kind of diverge in our conversation from the standard reflexive economist, you know, we, just, we should spend more on infrastructure – Mm-hmm. is that we actually look at the productivity of those investments. I mean, when, when we're building a bridge, when we're building a frontage road, when we're building a, another highway lane, what do we get for that? You know, do, does that investment right. actually make us better off? Does it make us wealthier? If we spend a dollar, are we actually going to build more than a dollar's worth of, of wealth? Uh, are we going to be able to capture that? And the reality is the way we go about doing these investments today they're negative returning. I mean, when we spend a dollar, uh, we're getting, uh, not only far less than a dollar back, but we're actually getting, you know, a, a dollar of long-term liability money. We're going to have to come up with in the future. When we do things on the smaller end of the spectrum. And I, I cited in the, uh, the piece today, you know, we should be, instead of building bridges and interchanges and frontage roads, we should have a system where we're out building sidewalks and crosswalks and, and planting street trees. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do that at the federal level. And it's really hard to have a program that captures that level of nuance and, and fine grain investment. Yet when we step back and look at our cities, those are the things that really pay off. The, those are the things that have long been neglected where there's a, a need for huge investment. And, uh, you know, w- w- there's nothing in any stimulus bill that's going to come out of either the Trump administration or the U.S. Congress today that is going to have a, a primary focus on those fine-grained things that, that cities need to do to become financially stronger. One particularly prescient paragraph in your article, you said, what we have not figured out and what we won't figure out with another flood of federal infrastructure spending is how to translate maintenance into growth. How do we go out and fix potholes and leaking pipes and have that result in additional wealth in our neighborhoods? And as you said, this is a daunting challenge. I think that is like such a huge question, and I hope we'll explore that more as we continue this infrastructure series. I, I really feel like that is the key that you know no one's really talking about. Because mm-hmm. really... And, and, and I, I've written a lot on this, and I, I think we could write a whole book on the idea that, you know, when we finished World War II, when we got out of the Depression, one of the ways we we dealt with those economic imbalances was to start building suburbia. I mean, we built uh, the interstate system, we built suburban America, and then we went about assembling all the things around it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everything from people who sold washing machines and dishwashers to, uh, you know, now granite countertops and whirlpool tubs and, you know, all the furnishings, everything that went around with it. This is how we created growth. And now we're at this period of time where the, the, the returns on that are not just diminishing. They're far negative. Um, we're bankrupting not only our cities, but we're bankrupting our families uh, we're bankrupting a whole generation of people just, just you know, trying to keep all this going. So we have all this maintenance. How do we actually have a, a system now that experiences growth while we maintain things? How do we actually go out and fix a pothole? How do we fix a pipe? Uh, 
and and have that not result in just like treading water, like staying where you're at. But how do we do that in a way that results in our neighborhoods getting wealthier, our, our cities getting stronger? No one's figured that out. And there are people, and I, yeah, I was going to go into examples of this, but I, I, I just trying to keep the piece short. It was long enough as it is. But I think of like people like J, like John Anderson with the Incremental Development Alliance. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see these guys out there trying to figure this out, right? Like, how do we take an existing street and take a you know take a building and then re you know make an investment there and make it wealthier without adding any additional public expense. Monty Anderson is another example of a guy who's been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. These people get overwhelmed. They get flooded. They just get like brushed to the side when you have this huge rush of, of federal money. It, it's almost like you see these you know, organisms starting to grow and prosper in, uh, in, in one environment. And now like the floodwaters are coming and going to wipe them out. And I just, I fear those floodwaters because I want that other ecosystem to start to flourish. So what are you going to be writing about? Can you give us a teaser of, for the rest of the week? Well, yeah, I, I sat down, I kind of organized my thoughts into four days this week. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the myths of infrastructure spending. Uh, I'm also going to talk about the way that economists have kind of failed us when it comes to the way they talk about infrastructure spending, some of the blind spots that economists have when they talk about it. And then uh, we're going to end up with a a list of things that uh, the federal government could do right now uh, to have a more productive productive infrastructure approach. Uh, And on Thursday... Chuck will be hosting a Slack chat um, at 12 p.m. Central where we can talk more about this topic, um, infrastructure spending and potential federal infrastructure bill coming up. So join us on Slack uh, at 12 p.m. on Thursday for that one. 12 p.m. Central, right? Central, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think there is uh, one last thing that we should talk about before we close, and that is uh, what we did this morning. Um, I'm going to be honest, I'm feeling like pretty... Uh, my brain is feeling pulled in a lot of different directions, um, <laughs> coming back from, coming back from a break and having a lot to work on for the coming year. Um, but one of the directions that I'm feeling pulled in, which is excellent, is that we are bringing on some new, uh, members to our team. So this morning we did a, a little orientation for them to, to get them going. Do you want to talk about the people who are joining us, Chuck? Yeah, we we at the towards the end of last year went through a process where we uh, went out and we're going to hire some people. And actually, we were looking to hire one person to help us in the membership department. Uh, people with the podcast who've been with us a while may remember Jason Schaefer, who was with us until last May. Uh, when he left, uh, we, we kind of took some time and said, let's. Let's kind of figure out what we're going to do with this position and, and how it would be best to approach it. And we kind of had those ideas in place by September and, and went out in October to, to find someone. Uh, we wound up finding uh, – we could have hired like five people, you know, and we had just <laughs> yeah. some incredible, incredible applicants, just people who had amazing skills and talents and abilities and passions. And, and, and you know, we interviewed – 
we we did a final interview with six people out of mm-hmm. uh, starting with a list of over two hundred, and I, I I think I would have felt comfortable hiring five of those six easily, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- 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 this was fantastic. So today, uh, two of those people started with us. Uh, Kia Wilson, who we were able to actually uh, have come to Chicago with us last month. And so we were able to spend a couple of days chatting with her and getting her up to speed. Uh, she's going to be working largely on membership uh, things and, and communications uh, with members and, and member support. And I think people are going to love her. She's uh, mm-hmm. uh, very smart, very uh, articulate, and uh, you know, just a very interesting person. I, I, I'm super excited to have her on board. Yeah, also, she's someone whose um, her background makes me really appreciate our job process because I, I have a feeling that if we had just read a resume and cover letter from her in it, you know, if if we did a standard job application process, we might have overlooked her because her background isn't exactly, um, you know, she doesn't have urban planning experience. Um, she doesn't have, you know, blog writing experience, um, but she turned out to be a really good fit for us. And I think that's partly due to our process of finding her. So I, th- I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, here's someone who's written a, a novel, gotten reviewed in the New York Times, done uh, event stuff for a, a bookstore for many, many years. Yeah, I, I think like from a resume standpoint, uh, never would have risen to the top. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the responses to the questions that we posed and then during the interview, I mean, clearly like the top candidate. She's incredible. Uh, we also uh, have starting today Max Azarello. Max is largely in the same kind of vein in terms of uh, working with our members and uh, helping with member support. Max is also going to help out a little bit with um, some of the uh, just data management kind of technical things as well as some of the social media stuff we've got going on. Uh, Max wasn't able to make it to Chicago with us, but um, I'm really excited to get him. We're going to be meeting uh, next month in Chicago again, and so we'll get Max there for that. And uh, it was cool to cool to meet him and, and chat with him and introduce him to everybody this morning. Yeah, also, I'm really excited to have them both be joining us. Well, I also feel like you know we're adding a new staff member uh, because we get Michelle back today. Yes. Um, Michelle uh, has been on maternity leave since mid-October, and we actually – that was uh, – you know, I get a lot of uh, Facebook interaction with Michelle because she's pretty active on Facebook, and mm-hmm. I'm friends with her and her husband and have been for quite a long time. And I love seeing the pictures of the baby and and everything they've got going on. But this is the first time this morning we actually got to meet Tommy, uh, the new baby. And, uh, oh, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's pretty cute. Yeah, it's great to have Michelle back, especially since we'll be getting the events going in high gear soon, I'm sure. Well, we've had a ton of inquiries, and I've done my best to keep up with them. But I've just been inundated with – with them. And so, yeah, a lot of people, if you were kind of waiting on me to get back to you about an event coming up in 2017, uh, get back a whole, in touch with me because uh, Michelle is on the job and she is far more qualified than I am to, <laughs> to handle those things. She's incredible. I feel like we're going to have a few weeks of uh, this adjustment period where we're helping the new staff learn the ropes and get acclimated. Uh, and that, you know, that's going to be a little bit of extra work on our plates, but then 
I, I think we're going to hit this point and they're pretty smart. So probably pretty soon where we'll just be able to start zooming ahead with the additional help and the additional brain power and ideas that the new people are going to bring to strong towns. So I'm, I'm excited for them to be here now. And I'm especially excited for what strong towns is going to look like in a few weeks or months with their, um, with their help. Well, and a, a big part of what, 2017 is going to be about is uh, you know, not only continuing with the content and continuing to, to have the conversation we're having, but actually take that next step into, okay, how do we help people take this into action? I mean, how do we actually uh, help people get things done? And, uh, you know, we've, we've done a really good job of documenting success stories over the last year and where people have taken this message and done things with it. How do we learn from that and actually make it easier for people? And we have a whole huge scrum backlog of ideas that I'm thrilled to be able to kind of dig into and work through now. So yeah, this is, this is exciting. Yeah, and I look forward to all our readers and listeners and members getting to know um, our new staff over the next few weeks. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy what we have planned for the year. And don't forget to always share input with us because um, we're all building this movement together. That's right. Uh, all right. Well, we'll uh, sign off for now, but we'll have a new podcast for you on Thursday. So take care, everyone. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.